From D.C. to Tallahassee, South Florida reps are with us live. Plus, Miami Beach's biggest issues are all South Florida issues. The two candidates who want to be the next mayor right here face to face. The big news of the week and the newsmakers all live this week in South Florida. Good morning, hello, hello. I'm Glenna Milberg from South Florida streets to university campuses to the Florida State House to Congress. We the people are divided watching in watching war in real time and it's fallout that is so personal to so many. Those divisions are emotional, historical, political, and our government reflects that deeply involved in supporting Israel's goal to eliminate Hamas and terror organizations and to find ways to protect civilians under Hamas control. We begin with the South Florida member of Congress on the front lines of all of that. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Democrat from Weston, live with us today. Congresswoman, good morning. Good morning, Glenn. It's good to be with you as always. Thank you. And so I want to start there with the divide in the Democratic Party, not so much with South Florida Democrats, um, which is really interesting, but because of the past week, because of watching war in real time, seeing civilian deaths, there is a real divide in the party over what to do about that. And I wonder if you would address that, the censure of the only Palestinian member of Congress, the support for Israel that did not get 15 Democratic votes. Take us behind the scenes there and, and play that out. What do you expect? Sure. Well, I, I mean, it's important to underscore that uh, I, I think the quote-unquote divide in the Democratic Party particularly in our caucus, is really being overstated. The overwhelming majority of Democrats uh, are supportive of the U.S.-Israel relationship, condemned Hamas's savage attack on innocent Israelis, Israelis that killed 1,400, um, including some Americans, and that ended up capturing 240 hostages, most of which are still in, uh, in detainment. Um, there are a smaller number of Democrats that, unfortunately, uh, are, are not uh, supportive, could not bring themselves to make that condemnation on the House floor. They had variety of reasons. Um, and then as we've moved forward, again, we've had similar votes, most of which on the side of opposition related to their belief that they wanted more acknowledgement of Palestinian civilians. But there is very clearly uh, widespread condemnation and unity to make sure that Israel is able to rid Hamas 
uh, from the, their their border and prevent them from ever being able to perpetrate those atrocities again. Yeah, and to your point, the real issue is the, the ability, unlike so many wars in decades past, the ability to watch every day, not only to watch every day the civilian casualties of what is an effort to eradicate terrorism, but also misinformation, disinformation, clouded information. How much of that plays into a public sentiment that, that really is watching civilian catastrophe and, and not knowing what to do about it in this goal to eradicate terrorism? I mean, look, uh, there are obviously, even though it is Hamas numbers, which can't fully be trusted, thousands of civilians that Hamas is the cause of death for. I mean, Hamas is to blame for and, and for the civilian deaths, they are the ones that attacked Israel. They broke a ceasefire that was in place on October 6th. They use their own civilians as human shields. I mean, Glenna, there's a reason that the United States doesn't put the Pentagon underneath Walter Reed Medical Center or an army base under Broward General. It's because we want to make sure that we can protect civilian life and separate combatants from our civilians. Hamas has no interest in that. They've stated very clearly that they consider the, the, the loss of their civilians, uh, the casualties of war, and that they're martyrs to the cause. And they've also stated very clearly their intention is not to only do this the first time, but there'll be a second, a third, and a thousandth, and that uh, they just sort of write off their, uh, their thousands of deaths. So we have to make sure that Israel can rid Gaza of Hamas. So I want to bring it home a little bit and the effects in South Florida. I mean, just there are rallies in South Florida, pretty large rallies addressing the Palestinian quest for land, a historic land dispute. One just in Miami Beach yesterday where I couldn't use the video of this without permission. These are aerials we're showing, but I did see video of a woman literally saying they should have just finished the job talking about jihad and Hamas. And so when when you address South Florida and your constituents, how do you hear that and how do you process this conflating of a, a historic land dispute with terror? You know, Glenna, even with you describing that, I'm getting sick to my stomach um, hearing the, the way that some of these protesters, far too many of them, are, uh, are not just anti-Israel, but they embrace the notion of the meaning of from the river to the sea, uh, which, by definition, is the eradication of Israel. It is a Hamas rallying cry and death to Jews all over the world. Um, when, when we have people marching in the streets it's one thing to march in support of Palestinian rights, of a, you know, support of a two-state solution, which I support, two states living side by side uh, in, in freedom and security. It's another to be advocating for the destruction of Israel, to say that you know, the Hamas should have finished the job. Um, there have been chants of, uh, of, of people all at these protests all over the country uh, saying that, 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 that they should do it again. Um, and so the pain that Jews all over the world are feeling right now is raw and real. Um, but at the end of the day, we are supportive of making sure that the terrorist threat can be ended so that it is not possible to perpetrate that again. And then we can hopefully move forward and try to reestablish conversations that 
might end these uh, end these these controversies um, and stop the killing of civilians, Israeli and Palestinian. Uh, hopefully once and for all. And you see, yeah, and, and you see the Biden administration kind of struggling to walk that line firmly in support of Israel and its goals, and yet watching the civilian catastrophe and asking for a pause, um, not going for a ceasefire, but a humanitarian pause. This week, Biden's reelection team was in town in South Florida, in Miami, along with the Florida team. And his campaign manager was saying the po recent polls showing very close in the margins and um, possibly former President Trump overtaking him at the moment very uh, in, a, in a couple of points in the polls. They're sort of discounting the polls as a snapshot in time way too soon. How do you see it? I mean, I would point you to the election results on Tuesday. Polls are interesting and, you know, a year out don't mean a whole lot. Um, uh, they're, they're fun for pundits to to chew on. But on Tuesday, you had overwhelmingly success for Democratic candidates all across the country in Pennsylvania, uh, in Ohio, with a ballot initiative that underscored that uh, in red states and purple states and blue states, Americans support a woman's right to make her own reproductive decisions and to control her body. And, uh, and Republicans are on the wrong side of that. Uh, there was success in Virginia in elections, in Kentucky. So when voters are asked to come to the polls and choose candidates that reflect their views and their values, they're voting for Democrats. And so I, I would say that the Republicans uh, should, should see serious warning flags and maybe come to the table and sit down and try to work together with us. They don't appear to be getting the message, unfortunately. So one year to go this week, and sometimes that goes really fast. <laughs> Congresswoman sure. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, great to see you and great to have you on the program. You as well. Thank Thanks, Glenn. And coming up next to the state level, a speedy special session this week had some unanimous votes and also some tense moments. And we get into that with two South Florida lawmakers next. A lot of money and a lot of message this week in a speedy special session originally called to pass bills to support Israel in its fight for existence and against terrorism. Your Florida lawmakers expanded the call, put millions more toward hurricane relief and toward school vouchers. But it was the emotionally and historically charged issue of war that led to some of the tensest moments. Why is there no mention of, of the hostages, the 241 hostages, including the babies that you care about? Why is there no mention of them or, or them being released? Initially, I put in de-escalation, and I thought that was all-encompassing. How many will be enough? The hundreds and thousands of babies and children that don't have the privilege to take their first step, blow out their first birthday candle. But according to some in this room, they're terrorists. Two of your South Florida reps are here to talk about it all. State Senator Chevron Jones, Democrat repping Miami Gardens to Miami Beach. And State Representative Vicki Lopez is a Republican representing Miami and Key Biscayne. Welcome, friends. Hello. Good morning, Thank you for Good morning Senator. Good to see Good you. Good morning. So, um, Vicki, can I start with you? Because um, you were in the House at the time that was representative from Jacksonville, Angie Nixon, with a failed resolution. Um, take us through that very tense moment. Her resolution failed, um, met harshly. Help us process what happened there. So it's very interesting because I was somewhat taken surprised by her resolution. I learned that morning from, from one of her Democrat colleagues who was very upset about it, and apparently she had 
kind of sprung this on her caucus the night before. And there was just a lot of, you know, discontent. And I said, well, let's wait and see what happens on the floor. And when we got to the floor, there was a very, the resolution was preceded by a very emotionally measured um, speech, if you will, from the well by Representative Michael Gottlieb, who is the head of our Jewish caucus in the House. And he was so amazingly on target, you could have heard a pin drop. And this, this, this was after, um, you know, after uh, Representative Nixon had actually introduced her bill, uh, her resolution. And so I think a lot of us expected Representative Nixon to say, listen, I waive my clothes. I think my resolution, as explained, you know, was sufficient. But instead, we were met with um, what I was so shocked by, which was the lack of decorum inside that chamber. I am a big proponent of hearing differing ideas and respectful debate, but Representative Nixon began to yell and scream and cry. And I think it took everyone by surprise. Um, in addition to the fact that her resolution did not call for a ceasefire with the release of the hostages. It just called for a ceasefire. And her own caucus is made up of, of several Jewish members who were dismayed um, at it. So we as Republicans were watching that debate go on between the Democrats. And I think it was, I, I, I have to tell you, I thought it was pretty shocking. And it sort of lived with us after the session because I'd never seen in the, in the 30 years that I've been working in Tallahassee, I'd never seen such a display of a lack of decorum inside that chamber. Sounds like in the state house, it reflects what's going on in Congress and in the streets as well. Senator Chevron Jones, the Senate actually uh, passed all of the bills having to do with Israel pretty quickly and unanimously. And one of those, uh, there's there's money uh, set aside for protection of institutions. The, the bills in the House and Senate are identical. Um, there's also expanded sanctions on Iran. Uh, having to do with state investments and state companies. Practically speaking, what does that do at a state level? Yeah, no, no. thank you so much, Glenda. So right now, the, the governor made it clear and the, the legislature made it clear that any businesses that's doing businesses business with Iran and that resides in the state of Florida, uh, basically saying that, you mean, that can't happen. I think Senator Avila's bill uh, is supposed to ensure that individuals who are associated with the Iranian businesses, they do not exploit American enterprises by uh, adding new sanctions against companies that do business with Iran. Uh, however, there are still concerns about how this would be implemented, um, how Florida businesses could be affected by this legislation, and how it could impact our economy. So we still don't know how this bill would be enforced. Uh, my legislative staff reached out to the Department of Economic Opportunity, the Florida Chamber of Commerce, and the Department of Business and Professional Regulation to inquire about how many Iranian businesses that, that there are that possibly can be or will be affected by this. And we were told that they don't have that information and have no way of keeping track of it in the first place. Uh, so this could be a slippery slope that we're uh, that we're going down. Uh, but yet still, I think it is important that we should not be supporting any um, any, any, anyone who supports terrorism. So a all. lot of, uh, well, it uh, sounds like what you're saying is a lot of what happened in the session is kind of messaging more than um, 
pinpointing exact problems to fix. And I think one of those is also adding money to the school voucher program, eliminating the waiting list for people who, families who need vouchers to go to school, especially for um, special, uh, special ability schools. But again, there is no way to know what the number is on that, how many, that's a, that's a, is that a blank check? Well, I mean, literally, I think we it, it is a printing check without, without us knowing uh, that number. But I do not want to take that away from the Family Empowerment Scholarship for the students with unique abilities. And, and I want to be clear, we we dealt with the Family Empowerment Scholarship with um, HB1 last year. Uh, this expansion is for individuals who have unique abilities. Those these are uh, children who have uh, who have extreme need. And those dollars have to reach reach them. Here's the problem that we're dealing with within the state of Florida. We have many of these FF, uh, many of the SFOs are not turning over the money in time to be able to pay these fees to be able to so they can be able to pay their employees. And so the state of Florida is going to have to do something this next legislative session to ensure individuals' livelihood is not affected and to make sure services are not affected by this miscommunication and how money is being passed down. So, Vicki Lopez, in the, um, okay, that was the school vouchers, and then sort of in a similar theme, the Home Hardening My Safe Florida Home program, hugely popular on pause because there was not enough money. Now there is more money allocated in this special session, but again, kind of a, an open question with no numbers, and in this instance, this was meant to help lower insurance premiums down the line by hardening homes. There's really no information from in, uh, to make insurers toe that line is there or i didn't see that in the bill no there wasn't in the bill but i think that certainly i have been speaking to a lot of insurance companies and i have i have actually you know uh, the majority of my district is made up of condominiums and condominiums were not included um vis-a-vis uh, -vis the save my safe homes and I'd like to see the, the session actually move forward with something for condos. And I, and I say that only because as soon as we can harden some of these buildings, remember condominiums have been hit with high property insurance assessments. They're hit with their own regular deferred repairs and maintenance. And then they're hit with what we know is now is the structural integrity reserve study yeah. assessments. So anything that we can do to lower the insurance premiums for condominiums would be very welcomed, especially in my district. And I think, you know, if we can get some money to either condo owners or condo boards, depending on, you know, what their declarations say in terms of who owns the, you know, who's responsible for the outdoor windows and doors, that would mean a huge, you know, decrease in, in insurance premiums for condos. And you're right, we don't know how much um, I didn't. I, I didn't expect this program to be so vastly. I mean, popular, but there was such a waiting list. It's, of it's free money. <laughs> well, yes, but you know, it's funny. I mean, I didn't expect people to take advantage of it. It's ten thousand dollars. You can you can fix your doors, windows, roofs. Um, and that will give you a significant yeah. decrease in your insurance premium. So yeah. I hope that we can do more of that to give people relief. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back. Quick break, and we'll be back with Senator Jones and State Rep Lopez in a couple of minutes. Stay tuned.
We are back talking all things session and a little plus plus with State Senator Chevron Jones and State Representative Vicki Lopez. And I want to go back to something I know, Vicki, you weren't seeing probably that Chevron was nodding as you were talking about condominiums yeah. and the lack of access to my Florida homes because um, Chevron Jones in the great redistricting, you inherited a lot of condo <laughs> dwellers in your district now. So tell yeah. me a little bit about what you're hearing from your new constituents because of not only the hurricane situation, but the post-Surfside condo laws that are about to really become expensive and concerning for people who live in condos. Absolutely, and Representative Lopez and I both share the same sentiments uh, because we both have large, um, a, a very large condo district. Um, but along with that, I think with the condos, we're also hearing about insurance, 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 insurance. That is the main topic of concern. Um, and based off of the new rules that were just put into place uh, last year when it comes to condos, I will say this, that Senator Pizzo, Senator Bradley, uh, Representative Lopez and myself, we sat on a panel uh, and we heard the concerns uh, of people and it is clear that there, this this work is not done. We are going to have to go back into this legislative session to uh, to 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 re refine some of the things that we've done. Um, even one of the bills that I have uh, that we'll be working along with Senator Bradley on is being able to ensure that there's training that happens for those who are on these condo boards because many of these individuals are volunteers from uh, who live within these buildings. But it is no no secret. And I think Representative Lopez outlined it perfectly. There's clarity that needs to be done and there's also cleanup that needs to be done when it comes to the condos uh, in Florida period. Yeah. Um, Vicki, I wanted to, th this was not part of session, but in the short time we have together, uh, I've been seeing that at least on the Senate side, Senator, uh, State Senate President Pasadomo has made mental health and mental health spending in that chamber uh, a real focus for the upcoming session. Um, and especially, we actually, um, some of our viewers this morning, and one in particular, knows that you're coming on, wanted to know and sort of project out on the health side, mental health, mental health spending, especially where it comes to uh, things that taking away the criminal aspects of mental health that lands so many people with these kind of issues in jail, in prisons. What do we expect? Um, frame what, what your priorities are and what to expect coming out of session upcoming in January. So I have obviously been in the mental health field, both on the criminal justice reform uh, side, but also on just access to mental health and making it affordable. And I, I think the House, you know, this isn't a new discussion. I'm really grateful that President Pasadena and the Senate is going to lift it up as a priority. When we talk about health care, we include behavioral health care in it. I do believe that we recognize that, you know, it, it, the incidences of mental health have increased, especially post during during the pandemic and post pandemic. And there is a great deal of, uh, I think, people who don't have access to it or don't feel like they have access to it. And I think putting money towards it is going to be a real priority, um, certainly for the House, as we hear it is for the Senate. We want to be able to meet um, you know, people where they are, try to figure out ways in which we increase telehealth. Uh, for behavioral health, which you know worked pretty well during the pandemic, if we can continue to do so post-pandemic so that people have even more access. I'll also be looking at the way mental health works in schools. You, reckon, you, you remember that we put some money into the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, sort of pot of money. Um, and I think that I'll be looking at whether or not children and their families are being served 
um, sufficiently and more effectively. So that's another piece of the of the uh, equation that I want to look at as well. So across the board, I think we're going to have the latitude to really delve into mental health, what leads people into prison and jails. You know, this is not a discussion that we've that is new um, because we've been hearing Judge uh, Steve Leifman from Miami-Dade County having sung this tune for at least 15 years that jails and prisons are not made for people who have mental health issues. They are better served um, through a crisis stabilization process and then through community-based um, you know, uh, services. So I think everything's on the table and I'm grateful for that. Um, and I, I, I look forward to seeing, I am the vice chair of the new Select Committee on Health Innovation, which will be looking at some of these issues and also the Medicaid reimbursement rates. Providers have a hard time finding licensed behavioral health professionals because they cannot compete with the uh, open market. And so I'm hopeful that we will find a way to increase those rates so that in fact, providers can hire qualified people to provide the services that we need. Chevron Jones, um, pick, up, pick up that discussion, take it over to the Senate side. What, what have you heard from President Pasadomo and what's your expectation? This is something I think that's really gonna be a priority for you know, public consumption for a long time. I'll take, I, I actually, I echo uh, Representative Lopez, and I think we're actually right. I think we have all been making it extremely clear that uh, mental mental illness uh, or homelessness, these things are not, these shouldn't be crimes. These are not crimes uh, individuals. We cannot continue to stockpile people into our criminal justice system. It's too expensive uh, to be able to do that. I think we've, we've come to that conclusion that it's too expensive. The fact that I'm happy that the state the legislature and the leaders in both chambers are taking this approach to a look at mental health uh, is, I think, is A+. Plus. In my 12 years being in the legislature, the fact that we're going to focus in in this area, I'm, I'm excited about this. But I think we need to really uh, delve into something that, um, that Representative Lopez said, and that is to our young people. How we approach this in our schools is going to be extremely important, but not just for our students, but also for, for our teachers also. We need to figure out a way, how do we incorporate our teachers in being able to access these mental health services that we're gonna bring down to, uh, to our students also. I think it's a win-win uh, for, uh, for both the student and the teacher. And as a, a former educator, that is your wheelhouse, is it not? Absolutely, yeah. 100%. State Senator Chevron Jones, State Rep Vicki Lopez, sure do appreciate your time and you will be back talking about all of these things. Thank you, Glenna. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Representative. Up next, a sea change coming for Miami Beach with a new mayor about to be elected. The two candidates are right here live face to face next. Four of South Florida's major cities had elections this week. Miami, Miami Beach, Homestead, and Hialeah. And with voter turnout not even 15% collectively, only one out of 10 voters made the decisions for everyone else. Think about that. Some of those races are actually going to runoffs, including the one for Miami Beach mayor. And the two candidates are right here to talk and debate some of the city's most pressing issues, which mirror the issues in all South Florida cities. Michael Gongora is a former commissioner who came in second of four candidates by 240 votes. He is a condo association lawyer in his day job. Stephen Miner was the top vote getter. He is a current city commissioner, a lawyer with the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission. And so the runoff begins. Welcome to the table. Thank you, Glenn. I'm so glad you came in. And I want to talk about particularly 
the quality of life issues because everyone in South Florida, our viewers go from Boca to Key West and so many similar issues that everybody faces in South Florida. And I want to start out with traffic. Mm -hmm. And um, Stephen Miner, I want to give you the first question. Top vote getter, current city commissioner. You were a commissioner, Michael Gongora. Um, I think you ended your term in 21. So traffic that's been building on Miami Beach is kind of both your tenures. And I, I want to uh, let you address untenable traffic in, at rush hour, people stuck for hours, people who live on the beach, people who don't live on the beach, who work on the beach, who visit the beach. Take that and run with it. Absolutely. It is untenable. That's the word. I've heard worse words, too. But um, what I've done, and I'm a current commissioner, what I've done in the last year or two is um, we have a uh, traffic management software program that we're trying to create so we can understand better the, uh, the issues we're having. I also propose an initiative that we're actually implementing right now for traffic control officers to be at intersections, key intersections, to make sure to keep the blocks, uh, blocking the box. Is it oh. working? Well, we haven't hired the uh, the traveler. We're actually in the process of interviewing, but it got in the budget, so the budget is there. We're interviewing and we're hiring very soon. We have to do that. It's very frustrating for our residents when they can't get through because of the gridlock. And we can't discuss traffic without also discuss, discussing overdevelopment, which is another issue that I have uh, legislation, proposed see, legislation. See on. my list here? See my list on the table? It's on it, but I want to get through the traffic sure. situation first because I really want to get a bit detailed. Traffic on major highways in South Florida at rush hour is terrible, but on a, on a an island where you can't go anywhere else. There's no alternative. There's nothing but ground transportation to rely on. There's no option. Absolutely. Michael Gongora. It's one of the reasons why I chose to run for office, because I was frustrated. The commission hasn't done anything. You hear there's a lot of plans in the works, but nothing's been brought to the table. Well, well you were a commissioner until two years ago. This isn't a new a Absolutely not. But when I was commissioner, I actually went out to the Miami-Dade County building and rode around with them to calibrate our traffic lights, something that hasn't been done, which would help traffic. I also worked very closely with FDOT, the state agency, because most of our traffic is on Collins Avenue and Alton Road. And I haven't seen the commission really being proactive. I live on Collins Avenue, so I'm in ground zero, really, for traffic problems. So I do think the traffic control officers would be a help, and I do support that as well. But we need to realize that this is a multi-governmental issue that you've got to work with Miami-Dade County and the state of Florida. And as the only one that's... The two roads that you mentioned are actually state roads. Sorry, if I said county, I meant states. But I am the only one that served three terms on the commission and has the experience to work with these other groups. We do have county roads, but those are Lagoris and Pine Tree. So we've actually been incredibly proactive. Actually, we had a transportation workshop that I had brought and I sponsored uh, just a couple weeks ago. We had federal, state, city people. We've actually implemented a lot of changes, including turning lanes. But as, as, uh, as, as Michael mentioned, we have, uh, we have to work with our partners. So we've proposed solutions which have been accepted but ultimately, uh, the state needs to do some work, and, and they're going to be implemented. So you had a very good point that was on my list. Development, you called it overdevelopment. I, I am going to be play the middle and not call over and under. I'm just going to say development on the beach. And I just want to, for full disclosure, uh, you will be my mayor. I am a beach resident. Um, <laughs> development on the beach has exploded, which brings more people. And Michael Gongora, the overdevelopment, would you characterize it the same way? 
Absolutely. It's out of scale development, Glenna, and it keeps continuing getting worse and worse. Over the past two years, as a beach resident, you know, last year, my opponent and the commission put two questions on the ballot, one for a large high-rise at the Doville and the other for large office towers on our city lots on Lincoln Road, something that I opposed. So we have to put our money where our mouth is. We can't say we're against overdevelopment or out-of-scale development, but then keep putting items on the agenda for people to approve. Well, those, let me just um, follow up on that. Those were on the agenda. When I drive to the beach, when anyone drives to the beach, you see the cranes, you see right when you get to the beach, a big high rise going up. Your um, financial contribution list is, is filled with some of the beach's biggest developers. I am not calling that a pejorative. I'm just going to say how do voters understand how you are going to be dealing with them when they come before you to talk about development and the things they want to that they want to build. It's a great question, but that's why I should be mayor. I served three times as commissioner, and I know when to say no. I know when to vote not to put things on the ballot. I know when things are bad for the city. I have a proven track record of voting for the residents. So yes, some developers have contributed to my campaign, but that doesn't mean I vote for them. I vote against them all the time, and I think people respect that about me that I can accept a contribution and still say no. And we need a mayor with the leadership and experience that's been there and done that. Stephen Miner, um, address that. We need, we need responsible development, but yes, I do believe we have overdevelopment. So our residents in voter referendums have, re have rejected the Doval, the Lincoln Road Project, and the Marina Project in the last several years. The Florida State Legislature has now taken away the right for voters to vote on public, on, on, on private property, like the Doval would not now go to a voter referendum. In response, I propose legislation that currently our commission can approve a height increase, a bigger density with five-sevenths vote. I am proposing that it should take six-sevenths vote of our commission to make sure we keep development in line. Oh, you're talking about the Live Local Act just passed at the state level. Correct. So uh, let's talk about that, and we just have a little bit more time in this segment, but let's get into it a little bit because I think that kind of came onto <laughs> into the headlines with the plan for the Clevelander on Ocean Drive and a 33-story tower, which they've now scaled back to, I think, 17 or 18, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. But, but they're able to do that because of the Live Local Act and the ability to put workforce housing, affordable housing, and a certain percentage of the building in return for that larger density that the cities can't really do much about. Doral is going through that. A lot of the cities are going through that. Um, what, what's wrong with that as far as the beach goes that needs workforce housing? Well, Ocean Drive is iconic, and it, 17 stories, 20 is way out of line. And actually, under the Live Local Act, they do not have the right to do that. The land development regulations that control our city, the FAR, the height and density, do not allow. Floor to area ratio. Yes. We are getting granular now. <laughs> we are. We are. And we have very intelligent residents, so I think most. We have very intelligent viewers. Uh, yes, and viewers as well. <laughs> um, so they do not have the right to go that, that high. And one of that, so that's one of the things. It was a publicity stunt. They don't have the right to do it. Um, they didn't even make the proposal at first. Now they have actually put into a proposal that has a lot of um, errors. And that's one. But two, our sewer and water infrastructure cannot uh, handle the magnitude of a size of a building like that. That's an issue. They'll need the permits. They're not going to get it for a building of that size. It's not going to happen. Concurrency, having developers build the roads and the sewers and the hookups and... Absolutely. I mean, we agree. That. We're both united on this fact that we oppose the high-rise at the Clevelander. It would be terrible to destroy our historic city. Um, I'm ready to fight it as mayor. And I do agree that we're not focused enough on infrastructure. The commission just approved an almost $1 billion budget that has very little funding for infrastructure 
infrastructure and capital improvement projects, which is something we need in Miami Beach and something that I want to move forward as mayor. We're spending too much time and too much money uh, financing different events, payroll, but we're not making the city better. We're not focused on the stormwater plan, which I championed as commissioner to stop us from flooding. Do you agree as a current commissioner? Agreed. And about six months ago, I brought a major initiative to focus on the water and sewer upgrades of our infrastructure. We need to do it. It's going to cost us more in the end if we don't do it now. Two candidates agreeing on something. I'm going to take a break. We'll have to stop <laughs> while we're ahead, but we'll be back. So stay tuned. More with the candidates coming up. We are back with Stephen Miner and Michael Gongora. We're the two candidates for Miami Beach Mayor. Uh, November 21st is the runoff. Former commissioner, current commissioner, talking about big quality of life issues. Crime is a big quality of life issue in every city, in Miami-Dade, in the country, I'm going to go say. Um, Stephen Miner, since you are the sitting commissioner, give us your sense of uh, a a community that really puts crime as their top concern, maybe sometimes even over traffic. Oh, what is the new police chief on the beach? Crime and reducing crime is the number one issue. And we, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I know when we cover stories, we're always focused on spring break and those weekends. I'm talking about generally speaking. And it really does. It starts from the everyday. And uh, a lot of residents call me the law and order commissioner, and I say I'm going to be I think the... that's your campaign, but that's... <laughs> well, I've actually had people say that. Yes, they're the law and order mayor, and I have what to back it up. I've transformed our municipal prosecution team. In 2021, we were at 8% success rate on convictions, and when I found that, that wasn't easy to find. We didn't have that data. I forced our city to, to produce that data, and then I proposed legislation that our commission passed. We are near 90% prosecution rate. Also, the Miami uh, Dade Judiciary wanted to do a bail reform. I was the first one to publicize that. Um, I actually want to bring a drug testing lag to Miami Beach so we prosecute. We're not prosecuting because the county doesn't always test the drugs. I, I want to go back to, I know you want to say, you want to address that, and I'm hoping you want to address the prosecution because that's, I'm going to have a question about that, but is that what you wanted to talk about? Prosecuting crimes at a municipal level goes to a county jail. Yes? Yes. And what happens the next day? Depends on the crime. They're typically released. That's what I want to talk about because we've covered stories that the trespass, the low-level crimes that the municipal prosecutor rightfully prosecutes goes to jail, goes to a hearing, is released on his or her own recognizance and comes right back to where they committed the crime. And that has been an issue that everyone has dealt with for a very long time in this county. What yes, we started actually, prior to my opponent being elected, the municipal prosecutor, which has been expanded. So we actually have a prosecutor that prosecutes our local crimes. But public safety, Glenna, is the number one issue. It's why I filed to run for office. And I am the choice of the Miami Beach police. They've endorsed me because they trust my plan to make our city better. Prosecution's better is good, but we need enforcement on the street. And I'm focused on putting police out on the streets and sending a message that you cannot come to my Miami Beach and commit crime and that we are a city of laws. We need police actively, proactively walking on bicycle. We need them to make arrests where warranted. And yes, once they are arrested, we need for there to be the follow through. But we can't miss the first step. And to me, that is why I chose to run a year ago, because I wasn't seeing that happen from this commission. And I wasn't
wasn't hearing it happening from our police officers. They were also complaining to me that they felt they didn't have the ability to go out and make the arrests they need to keep our city safe. And as mayor, I will do so. And I will also give them the technology they need. They want video cameras. They want a real-time crime center. We just passed, again, an almost billion-dollar budget. We need to make sure that public safety is truly prioritized, not only during elections, but all year long. Stephen Miner, I want to go back to I, carry that kind of forward for me. The prosecutions, if they don't work in keeping people off the streets, what comes next? What is your plan? Well, I actually think what's happening here is um, what, what, what prior to that to my intervening and transforming our legislation, forcing the prosecution of these misdemeanor quality of life crimes. There was no accountability. A person can be arrested five, ten times, but without a conviction, the judicial system will not take it seriously. That has changed. You are not seeing the same repeat offenders over and over again. That is a fact. In addition to that, we are now going for stay away orders, probations, and judges are now implementing that. So we are seeing, we are seeing less of the repeat offenders, which was the goal of this, uh, of transforming our prosecu prosecution program. It's working. You know, the, um, there is a, a real call for getting tough on crime, but the recent resolution that the beach passed, uh, it, it was the camping ordinance that was given a bit more teeth. So now in effect, a homeless person experiencing homelessness, criminal or not, asked to not sleep on the street and, and who refuses to go to a shelter is now open to arrest. And you saw some real blowback on that from homeless advocates. What's your position on that? Well, I'm one of the sponsors of that legislation, so I'm proud of it. I also think it's humane. First of all, it's good for our residents. It's good for our city. We can't have uh, individuals sleeping in the public right away. 30% of our crimes are committed by individuals our police identify as homeless. But more importantly... And is, is that a mental illness issue? Some of involved? it. Uh, a lot of it mm -hmm. is, and also addictions um, as well. But I'm also proud, in addition... For, Picture what's happening here. It's a homeless person who's actually sleeping in the public right of way. We are offering, we spend millions of dollars on services and uh, shelter. We are offering, we're not just arresting the person, we're offering the help. By the way, some of the initiatives that we do now are legislation that I brought. We offer employment opportunities to the homeless. We, we offer rehabilitation programs. Some of them have worked. We've have, we have people who are now drug-free for the first time in a long time because of the legislation that our city offers. So yes, I think it is actually- Are there, are there stats on that? Oh, stats, oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Stats on how many people we've employed. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not, not that many, it's not that easy, but we have employed a couple, yes, um, for sure. And uh, the rehabilitation program, yeah, we can pull that stats, I'm happy to share with you. Excellent, yeah. Michael, take that. I actually sponsored the Lazarus Project, which is what he was referring to, I believe, where we were offering to medicate people with mental illness and drug and alcohol problems, because we do want to rehabilitate them and take them off the street. Homelessness is a serious issue, and our residents have been extremely concerned, especially since the pandemic. We can't turn into San Francisco, where we see images of people sleeping in parks, and we have to balance that you, with the humane need. You can just go need. across the bay and see that. You don't have to go across the country <laughs> to see it's that. It's true. But we don't want to see it in Miami Beach. That's all we can control as the mayor. But we want to make sure that we stop that. I just want to be concerned. I think the ordinance is a good first step, but it needs to be measured. It needs to be reviewed closely. We need to make sure that it's not heavy-handed policing and that it actually is being used for its intended purpose to help homeless people get the help they need. I want to ask, um, in the short time we have together, the, the four-person race, 
I will say as a beach resident was so negative and so harsh and disheartening. Um, in the next 10 days that we have for this election, would you commit to a, a positive and fair campaign season? <laughs> I think like we have been positive and fair. Most of the negativity was injected by one of the candidates that's not there. Unfortunately, elections are about making a choice. So I don't think it's negative to say I have more experience, I served three no, times, um, and to point out bad votes that your opponent did because the residents want to know who they're voting for. But I think uh, Mr. Miner is a fine man. I don't have anything negative to say about him Mr. personally. Minor? <laughs> yeah, when I, when I ran four years ago and I did the same thing when I filed to run in June, I said I am not going to say a negative word about my opponents. I think people recognize that. I have not said a negative word. I actually reach out to others and say, please do not, do not go negative. I, I want to focus on the issues. I've had so many residents reach out to me at the polls and otherwise say thank you. Thank you for injecting a positive. Our residents want to hear about the issues and that's it. Always love to spread the love at this table. Uh, Stephen yes. Miner, Michael Gongora, love that you're here together and I hope that we had a real public service for uh, voters and some interesting ideas for everyone who does not live on the beach to, to listen to, to visit there and work there as well. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Watch today's interviews or take them with you on the This Week in South Florida podcast. All you have to do is scan this code with your phone and it takes you right to the This Week in South Florida section of Local10.com. We want to hear from you always. Get your input and thoughts on what you find to be important. Email, connect on social media right there. Glenna at WPLG, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Have a beautiful Sunday. Thank you so much for being with us. Keep in touch.